Father, this morning we come to you once again, Father. We just surrender ourselves, spirit, soul, and body, looking by faith to the author and the finisher of our faith, who has promised that he will make us blameless in our spirit, soul, and body, and present us to the Father on the day of his appearance. So, Father, we know, Lord, it is your word that cleanses. Today, Father, even as we listen to your word once again, cleanse us, sanctify us, pull down thoughts, imaginations, strongholds in our mind that opposes your word, your truth, so that what you have done is true in each one of our lives, that the word of God is exalted above everything else, O Lord. The deliverance come, Lord, even through this time. Speak to us. Bind every spirit of distraction, every spirit of restlessness, of tiredness, weariness, sleepiness, everything, slumber, everything, Lord, that opposes the ministry of your word. We just surrender ourselves. Speak to us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. We begin from there this morning. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is what God declares. And this is our struggle. See, the people in the world do not struggle so much because they follow the crowd. But for us who come into the house of God, who call upon the name of Jesus, who is saved and who is being saved, it is falling into this where our thoughts become according to his thoughts and our ways slowly align to his ways. And if if we are in isolation, like in the final, after the final millennium also is over and uh, there's no devil, there is no sin, there is no temptation, nothing. Then it's very easy because there is no resistance to this. But till then there will be always resistance because we are fighting our flesh, we are fighting the world system and we are fighting the enemy. So remember, the entire process in the house of God is to keep on aligning our thoughts, changing our thought patterns with his thought patterns and our ways with his ways. And it only happens through the study of the word of God we understand. We are not studying the word of God just to know stories. We are studying the word of God to understand how God works. How is God's kingdom? How does it function? How does God function? If you study just as stories, just as Anything else, like he told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures that you're not searching for me. If you're searching for me, you would have found me. Therefore, because they were searching scripture just for knowledge, more like secular knowledge, they never found Christ. So when Christ was standing right in front of him, them, they could not recognize that scripture was all about him. We know we've been studying from the book of Ruth. Why do we study these books? Because we are learning how God's ways work in the lives of people. 
So if you remember last week, we looked at one particular word, bread in the Lord's Prayer. Because bread or provision constrains so many believers. Because that becomes the, the defining factor in the lives of God's children. They never fulfill God's purpose. The greatest power to, to do good on earth is given to Christ's body on earth. That is the only agent, God's church, his body on earth, that is driven by an agenda that is from heaven. That is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, that is heaven. Only the church, nobody else. Yet, that body is like stuck in the rut. Much of that body unable, because we are not able to understand this. My ways, God says, are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. The kingdom of God, we will pray every church, especially mainline churches. There, Every service they pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yet, it is never going to happen until it is we align our lives to learning what are the ways of God. That's why even incredibly intelligent people like Moses or David or Paul, all of them come to that point where they have to really pray, Lord, show me thy ways. So the title of today's message is My Way, Your Way, or Yahweh. Okay? So you can choose because in the world it is either my way or your way. Okay? But it's not that. It's his way. Okay? It's Yahweh. So we go to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 to 33. And Jesus is speaking to an incredibly poor crowd. The crowds that followed him. It's not crowds like sitting here. Incredibly poor crowd. A very underprivileged crowd who has nothing what any one of us today would take it for granted. And they are poor, among the poor in Israel. Okay, very poor crowd. And he says, therefore I say to you, it sounds so odd in their ears. I say to you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Because that's their main concern. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? No one. Ask me. I tried all my young days. Could it add one inch? Everything I tried. I still stuck at five, six. Never. Okay? So I'm telling you from example, worrying won't add your... Hide. It's scripture and it is experience. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Then he says in verse 33, 
Therefore, sorry, therefore do not worry saying what shall we eat, what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. To an incredibly poor crowd set of people of little faith. He tells them, you of little faith, saying, this is what you're concerned with. You're all gathering around me because you're so worried about life. What to eat, what to drink, what will be where. No. But he tells them what he tells everybody. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay. God doesn't change his pattern for anybody. We wish he did, but he does not. He does not. And whether we are poor or we are rich, whether we are foolish or wise, if we learn God's ways and apply it, it works. We've been looking at Ruth and we know the story of Ruth. We know the incredible success of Ruth. We have to look at it in terms. Okay? A simple, poor, Moabite widow. Her incredible success. Where she begins and where she ends. And if we look at her life, we will see all those principles that led to her success is what is consistently shown in God's word. That nobody in the Bible we know has succeeded outside the principles of God's kingdom. So that should give us a lot of courage, a lot of confidence that God is not a respecter of man. That anyone, poor or rich, Jew or Gentile, if he or she believes and decides to follow God and align his ways with God's ways and his thoughts with God's thoughts or her thoughts with God's thoughts, God says, you will prosper. You will do well. You will succeed. And that's why we study the lives of these simple people. And his principles are there. I'll first get into those principles because we need to meditate upon God's word over and over and over again. And the fundamental text on principles on which we succeed anybody is found in the book of Joshua. So today we go to Joshua chapter 1 and verses 3 to 9. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, we are looking at principles. Don't take all these things literally, okay? Unless God tells you, because people try to do literally these, take it and they go to places and start treading and claiming nothing happens. They get kicked out of that place, okay? So don't take it literally unless it applies to you literally. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to withstand, stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong, and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay? This is a fundamental text of the kingdom of God, how God's kingdom functions. First we look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. And verse 4 is a demarcation. Okay? We don't have to look at verse 4, but verse 3. Meaning, first, always remember, there is a promise. This is consistent in the word of God. There is a promise from God before we can build anything. That's why scripture says, unless the Lord builds, we all struggle. And God to build in anybody's life gives us a promise first. We all have a general principle of life according to the kingdom of God and everyone has a specific purpose in God's kingdom and each one needs to know your promise in your life. Okay, promise in your life. Everybody, there's nobody here without a promise. If you do not know, it's because you haven't sought it and found it. Everybody has a promise. And it is based on the promise God does the kingdom work in your life. Everybody has a promise. Noah receives a promise. And it is based on the promise all the years of his life. The work he does is based on that promise. Abraham receives a promise. Based on that, the rest of his life functions. Isaac receives a promise. Jacob receives a promise. Joseph receives a promise. Moses receives a promise. Joshua receives a promise. Samuel receives a promise. Saul receives a promise. David receives a promise. There's nobody in the Bible who, ha- who built on something which was not promised. It doesn't happen. So first thing we need to understand is that know, seek, search, find your promise. And until that happens, live by the general principles, but as you grow older, get to know your promise. Lord, what is that you want me to do? You did not create me without a purpose. You did not save me without a purpose. There is a purpose and I want to know your purpose. And then stay within the purpose and I love God. So you have to have your promise. Once you receive your promise, remember that promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. First thing, know your promise. Get to know your promise. When you, when you, when you are young, he will give you a general promise. And as you grow in the, grow, grow older, it becomes clearer and clearer and then it is cast in iron. It's like uh, those who, like simple example as uh, doctors. You join for MBBS and you join for MBBS, you join for MBBS. It's general medicine. But then you specialize, then you specialize, then you specialize, you specialize, and finally you end up in one specialization. Okay? And that is your area. Though you know general principles of medicine because you came through MBBS, but you are an expert in your area of specialization. Okay? That's how it functions. So, general principle, and then you need to come to your area of specialization. So, first thing is, every place... That the soul of you, according to your promise, according to your promise. I have said this 
Like for me, the specific promise which God gave to me years later should have made no sense to anybody else if you read the same portion is that I have called you to strengthen believers. And you will see every door that God opens is connected with that. To strengthen believers. Not to Gentiles. Not that I cannot preach, do an evangelism. But I cannot, I, I will not do it as simple as that. Because he didn't call me to that. He didn't anoint me that. He didn't equip me for that. But if you get me 100 evangelists, I can give them an entire day seminar on how to do evangelism. Because that's my gift. But if you put me on a crusade, I will try to do it in my strength. Because I know that's not my call. That is not my promise. That is not my purpose. Okay, so understand the general and the principle. Second thing you need to know is verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Don't take it randomly, okay? Because problem is sometimes we read scripture half. We don't read the rest of the scripture. No man will be able to stand, withstand me all the days of my life. No. Why? Because... As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Where does our success come from? Where does our victories come from? Our victories come based on the promise in the work God has called us to. Our success in that work comes because he has promised I will be with you. How will I be with you? To Joshua, he's saying, I'm giving you an example. Joshua, I will be with you as I was with Moses. And Joshua says, wow, that's great because I knew you were with Moses. I saw 40 years. You never left him. Thank you. Thank you. If God had told, as I was with Aaron, I will be with you, Joshua would have trembled. Please, Lord, please, Lord, I cannot lead these people. So when God tells you, he will speak to you in the language we understand. So to Joshua, he's saying, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. To Isaac, he will say, Isaac, I am the God of your father, Abraham. As I was with Abraham, I will be with you. And Isaac says, wow, I know how God was with my father. Jacob is running away in the dark. He's in the night. He picks a stone. He goes to sleep. And then he hears God says, Jacob, you don't know me, but I know you. I'm the God of your father, Abraham. and the God of your father, Isaac, and I will be with you as I was with them. He says, wow. Wow. Okay? So you need to understand God will speak to you and to me in the language we understand. We understand. Okay? Elisha has followed Elijah for 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. He has only followed Elijah. He knows the history of Israel, but the example for him was Elijah. And he was seeking, seeking, seeking. And then the final hour, Elijah says, okay, if you see me being taken, you will receive what you have asked. And he's taken. He's gone. He's gone. God of Elijah has taken Elijah. And all he's left is one mantle that is falling. He does something. Very strange. He takes that mantle and he strikes the water and says, where is the God of Elijah? Why? Because he says, if you are the God of Elijah and that same spirit has fallen upon me, then you will do for me what you did for him. And the water separates. And everybody watching knows the spirit of Elijah has come upon him. He didn't say, where is the God of Moses? He didn't say, where is the God of Joshua? He said, where is the God of Elijah? 
Okay, so understand, God speaks and deals with us in ways we understand. But here, the second promise is, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. What is the second principle of the kingdom? Be very sure, God is with you. Be very sure, do not presume. Do not presume. Be very sure. Before Joshua fought one battle, he was absolutely sure. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, scripture, I didn't give you that. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. He said, are you for us or are you for them? He says, neither. Neither. You would have expected Jesus to say, I am for you. He said, neither. You make your choice first. Are you with me or are you against me? You make. We've been talking about choices. Because people always presume automatically. Often the, the verse that is quoted is, Yes, I will never leave you. And Romans 8.31. No? Yes. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be? But do you know English? It starts with the if. Starts with if. So be very sure God is for you. If God is for you, nobody can be against you. And if God is not for you. We are in big trouble if you try to do something in God's name and work for the kingdom. If, it's a big if. If God is for you, who can be against us? Okay? So second principle is be very sure God is with us. Meaning young children, if you copy in exams and then cry, Lord, I am waiting for my results. God said, yeah. I am also waiting for your results. You cannot expect these things in God's kingdom. You cannot presume, oh I am a Christian, I go to church regularly but I don't study but God is for me so which teacher can be against me? God said everyone. Why? Because I will tell them. It doesn't work that way. If God is for us. Do not presume. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God wants us. In Leviticus 26, 3, 23, 24, we said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of a yoke, made you walk upright. But if you do not obey me, and not, not, isn't it 23 I gave you? Yeah? Pardon? I didn't give you. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's why you were. Okay. Leviticus 23, 26, 23. If by things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me. God is constantly disciplining us so that we will align our ways to his ways, our thoughts to his thoughts. But he says, after all these, if you continue to walk 
contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. Constant clash. With whom? With God, not with the world. I will walk contrary to you. And I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. God walking contrary to us. He says, no. Don't presume that God is for you. Don't presume. Be very sure that is God is for us. Be very, very sure. If God is contrary to us, then if we walk contrary to God, then God will walk contrary to us. In Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, this is how it is told. Galatians, yeah? Not Timothy, sorry. Galatians. Yeah? Do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. Concerning whom? Concerning God. Don't be deceived. About God. Don't presume things about God. God is not mocked. God doesn't like mocking. The world doesn't so much mock God. They will only say there is no God. Christians mock God. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. World is never, never foolish that way. Every farmer in the world knows if you sow paddy, you get paddy. You don't get wheat. You put apples, you get apples. You don't get oranges. They're very clear about it. They know it. Even religious people know it. If you catch a religious man in some crime, he will say, that is karma. I did this and I got it. The Christians are the ones who presume. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will also reap everlasting life. God says, don't presume. Don't presume. Don't just confess these verses, God is for me, so who can be against me? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you every soul of that I walk through my corporation, walking and I am claiming that ground. And all God says, but you are walking contrary to me. When the CEO is not over there, go quietly and lay hands and say, this is my chair because it has been promised you shall be the head and not the tail. All kind of things people do. But you are walking contrary to me. God says, wait a second. I, I know. I know. And we say, Lord, I bring to your remembrance all these verses. God says, I accept. But you are still walking contrary to me. So many, many Christians walk in presumption. Which is basically rebellion disguised as obedience. In Numbers 14, verses 44 and 45, scripture says, But they presumed. But they presumed. To go up to the mountain top, nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. They presumed. They said, we'll go fight. But they didn't realize God didn't go with them. They presumed. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them. And drove them back as far as Hormah. They were beaten. Why? Because they presumed. We don't presume. We don't presume. We don't presume anything. When the angels told Lot, run, go up to the mountains, 
For your safety of you and your daughters, he said, no, please don't ask me that. There's a little town over here. Let me go. They said, that's what you want. That's where you go. He went into the town. And he stayed there. What did he do after some time? He must have remembered, yeah, they said go to the mountain. Now he goes to the mountain. He presumed. What happens in the mountain? What happens in the mountain? Every time I read these portions, what interests me is this. His two daughters are there and he's up there on the mountain alone with all of them. Okay, If he had continued staying in the little town, probably what they did wouldn't have happened because there will be too many people around. Now there. And the daughters say something. They said, there are nobody here. And the way we are, we will end up childless. So let's do one thing. Let's get our father drunk. So, Lot used to drink wine, right? My question to you is that if Lot was a teetotaler, would that have happened? They knew their father was righteous and they knew they could never get him to do this if he is sober. So they said, let's get him drunk. And I don't know why people still talk about saying that it is sanctioned to drink wine. Every time wine is mentioned in the Bible related with men of God, you will see when they are drunk, they do obnoxious things. What they would have never done in their reasonable minds, they do it when they drink. And if you don't learn these lessons from this, God saying, it's okay, but I can handle it. God says, a day will come when you will not be able to handle it. Learn these lessons. We presume a lot of things. They presumed. Christians presume. What they should have known is that as they went, they should have looked and said, Moses is not there. The ark is not moving. Hey, let's go back. They had visible signs. We should have invisible something that is within us. I'm uneasy about this. I'm feeling the Spirit of God is not sanctioning this. And as far as I know scripture, this is not the way things are done. Why do we presume? So the first thing, remember you and I have a promise. Second thing, be absolutely sure there is a God is with us to back up that promise. Third, as Rama prayed, we need boldness. We need courage. In Joshua chapter that one, verse six, be strong and of good courage. God says, I'm not diluting your situation. I am there for you. My promise is there for you. That doesn't mean the enemies you face are not real. They are real. The mountains you face are high. The obstacles you face is going to be terrible. And it's going to really, really dampen your spirits. We have this uh, feeling that because God is with me and I have this promise, God will just go before me and remove everything from my past. God says, no, that doesn't happen like that. You will have to fight your battles because I'm making soldiers out of you. But I will be there with you. You will not see me. But I will be there with you. I will be there with you. Joshua fought many, many battles. Why is he telling all this to Joshua, which he didn't tell Moses? Why is he telling him? Because for Joshua, battles never mattered earlier when he fought the Amalekites and all. Why? Because Moses was there. Every time Israel was being pushed back, all he had to was look back and he knew Joshua, Moses' hands were coming down. 
And he looked and Moses' hands goes up and he wins. So he was very easy. He didn't have to ever worry about boldness and courage and all he had to do was look back and says, is Moses there? Is the ark there? I'm fine. But now Moses is gone. You have to be in the front. See, it's to follow a leader is very easy. But to be the leader at the top is not easy. So suddenly Joshua is pushed into that position and in each one of your lives, remember, in your own lives, you are the leader. You are the leader. You are leading your own destiny. God says, be strong of good courage. In verse 9, he will again say, verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. What do we need? We need boldness, we need courage. So many Christians back off because they are very timid. Very, very timid. You look at what's happening in the US. Everybody with their reasonable mind, they know what's happening on the streets is pure evil. But the church is so timid, so timid, that the church doesn't even come out. Come out. There's no sign of the church. You can't believe there are supposed to be millions and millions and millions of believers. No sign. Why? And the streets and everything has been taken over by the the crowd. Because you are so timid. And God says, tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, See, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He said, I have not given you a spirit of fear. So when you are fearful, when you are afraid, after knowing I am, have the promise and God is with me, then you need to reject and rebuke that spirit of fear because he did not give it to you. So why should you carry something which he didn't give you? Get rid of it. Constantly fight that spirit of fear. Promise. Be sure God is with you. And be sure that you embolden yourself. That is what the church in Jerusalem realized When they started preaching, opposition rose. Apostles were arrested, they were whipped. What did the church go do? What shall we do? No. They went to God, realistically put the whole issue, said you have called us, you have anointed, this is our promise, this is our purpose. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. We need power. We need boldness. Do you know scripture says the same set of crowd were baptized in the Holy Spirit all over again? And what did they receive? Boldness, power, anointing of the Holy Spirit and boldness. Yeah, that one one light, yeah, one light. Put this off, leave this alone. I look like one of the TV preachers today, the light only on me. This one, this, yeah. You took this off. Oh, I put it off, sorry. No, no, that switch is there. We need boldness. We need courage. Okay? Now come to verses 7 and 8 of Joshua 1. Only be strong, very courageous, that okay. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper where you go. 
Okay? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do. There are two things mentioned over that. Now, after this, if you need to move to the next level, you need faith. You and I need faith. Faith comes from Hearing from the word of God. God says, you see, these things can be done only by faith. These things cannot done by sight. You cannot say, I have a promise and have a God with me and I have no fear. Now let me do it in sight. God says, no, this is only done by faith. The problem is that you need faith and you need obedience because the problem is this. You need to be strong and courageous. Why? Because when the enemy comes against you, the pressure from within is to divert from the way of God. Shortcuts are always there. Always there. Shortcuts. Plenty of shortcuts. God has only one way which is called the narrow way. Plenty of shortcuts. That's why he said you need boldness. You need courage. Why? Because my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So, so when pressure comes, the pressure is that fear will make you do something that is contrary to my way. That's what happened to David. All the years Saul was chasing him. God protected him. One step ahead he was of death. If death, so That's why he actually writes, even though to the valley of shadow of death I shall not Fear evil. Why? Because his f- death is behind him. He says in one of his conversations, he talks about how death is stalking him. But he always is one step ahead of death because God is moving him. That finally he cannot handle it anymore. And he says, if I go like this, all will kill me. And he goes into the Philistine territory because what does he think? The best way to hide is go hide among the Philistines. And from there begin 16 months of darkness or 18 months of darkness. Okay, So the pressure is always there. And when pressure comes, fear comes in and the fear will make us step away from the way of God. You may get instant success. But later the price is heavy. How many months were you there in the Philistines camp? 18 months. What did you do? Obnoxious things. Abominable things you did, killing innocent people. What did it cost you? Seven years after you are king to get the loyalty of the rest of the tribes of Israel because they don't trust you. Seven years. We may think if I go to the world and world's way for a season, when I come back, I can make up. God says you have no clue how many years you have lost on the other side. One step into Egypt, when famine came, stayed there for a season, brought out, Hagar came out, Lot came out, Lot never came out in his heart from Egypt. And Hagar will create an Ishmael. That's what says, be strong, be courageous, see this, stick to my word, live by faith, walk by faith, and faith alone. But faith without obedience is Pointless. So God says that you do. That you do. You have to obey. You have to do it. The problem with sight is that sight results are very quick. Faith, sometimes you don't see results for a long time. Very Sometimes very crudely, but in ways which we understand, God will always show it. Sarah says, 10 years we have been in this land, and God has given us a promise, I have no child, why don't you take Hagar? And he takes Hagar and she's pregnant. 
probably next week Hagar starts throwing up. And Sarah says, she's pregnant. Ten years Sarah has been waiting and she's not pregnant. Yet she has to wait another 13 years. She will become pregnant. Are you getting? So Isaac learns the lesson and he prays and waits for 20 years. And Rebecca finally conceives. Why? He says, I'm willing to wait. I'm not going to give in to the circumstances because there is a promise. And I know God is with me. I know God is with me. And I'm not going to be timid in this situation and give in to pressure. I'm going to hang in there and I'm going to stand over there. Let people say whatever they want. I don't care. They'll say you're 59 years old, you're 58 years old. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at the promise and God who is with me. So when pressure comes, we try to fall away from faith and we cease doing what God has demanded us to do. So there is faith and there is obedience. Then there is the fifth one which we need, which we find in Joshua chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. First lesson of victory in the kingdom of God for Joshua and men. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. Now we would have loved it if it was written, Joshua... You guys march around on the first day and the walls will fall down. It didn't. He said, how many days? Once a day for six days. And then seven times the seventh day. God says, I want you to build your patience. If I had told you march on the first day seven times, you would have been tired. There are so many young people caught in that situation. You have to grow in your faith. You hear testimonies and you see men of God and women of God read and you suddenly want to do their works. God says, hang on. Hang on. It doesn't happen like that. Walk around once. You want to walk around seven times on the first day? He says, you will not. You will be so worn out, you will fall because you don't have the strength, spiritual strength to sustain those kind of exploits. It will get into your head. He says, patience, patience. You and I need patience for see the walls come down. But this has got eternal significance also. Whatever you say, whatever you preach, whatever changes happen, ultimately everything will collapse only on the seventh day. After Satan is released after the thousand years of Jesus Christ, he comes against the world, Against Christ, everything is destroyed. God creates a new heaven and earth. That is when the walls of this world will fall. Okay, so there is a spiritual application and there is a physical temporary application. So never ever think heaven will come down earth in our time. No, it doesn't happen. There is a time set for this. Okay. So understand this. We need patience. We need patience. It's not enough to be patient. Words 4 will say, And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams. So during the time of patience, don't forget to praise. A lot of people are patient, but they don't praise. The praise is gone. Yes, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. They're miserable. They're miserable. They don't know how to praise. They don't know how to rejoice. They don't know how to sing through it all. They're patient. 
but they don't have praise. And God says, look, these are fundamental principles. You have your promise. You be sure God is with you. See that you are not afraid. See that you have faith and obedience. See that you are patient. And as you are patiently doing what has God called you to do, praise your way through. These are fundamental. And if you look, you will see that is exactly the life of Ruth. If you follow this, God says, then the rest will follow. What is the rest? He says, provision will come. What will come? Provision will come. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. What will come? Provision will come. You don't have to worry about provision. In Matthew 6, 33, that's what God says. Your things, these things, whatever you are looking for in life will be added. Ruth chapter 2. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned and it was an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. Poor Moabite widow had come into Israel by faith, in obedience, doing all the things which Naomi has done. Her heart is stayed on God. And the first time she ventures out into Israel, God leads her into the right field. The man who will protect her and who will tell his servant, see that she has enough. And she goes home with bags full. Provision comes. John chapter 6 and verse 11. Jesus took the loaves, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of fish, as much as they wanted. Plenty. Everybody ate, right? Because there was one man in their midst called Jesus Christ who sought the kingdom of God and his righteousness and walked according to it. So they all ate. They all ate. It's a fundamental principle because God is saying Provision is not dependent upon how much you have in your hand. Provision is dependent upon have you walked according to the kingdom. The kingdom, there is no lack in the kingdom. So understand principles. Then connected with this is the seventh principle, which is that then comes promotion. Okay, Sometimes all these things come, but in our companies we don't get promotion. When will my promotion come? Luke 14 and verse 11. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God says, you know what? There is a fundamental principle for promotion in the kingdom. That principle cannot be removed. It's a kingdom principle. If you want to be, you you have two, two things. Either your boss can promote you, you can promote yourself, or God can promote you. Three ways of promotion. If you want a boss to promote you, bootlick. Okay? If you want to promote yourself, use everybody as a ladder. Step on their shoulders, their head and go up. Finally, you will see it's so lonely at the top because what happened is as you climbed up, the others took the rungs of the ladder. You are stuck at the top, unable to come down now. Remember Saul, King Saul, finally he says, there is nobody, no vision, no dream, no prophet, God doesn't answer me, I'm sitting at the top, nobody. 
We don't want to be promoted that way. Okay? James chapter 4, verse 6. Consistent in the Bible. He gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if you are a child of God, and if you try to promote yourself, anybody, what does he do? As you promote, God will push you down. <laughs> Why God says he resists the proud. He doesn't resist so much the proud in the world, but his children definitely. First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. All of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but grace, grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Keep yourself there, he says. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. We know it so well, but it has to be read again and again. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bought servant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, then, because he went down, 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 Scripture says, therefore, God lifted him up, lifted him up, lifted him to the highest place. And then probably a verse you do not know. All the others you knew. Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7. Exaltation neither comes from east, that is Modi, nor from the west, that is Trump. For you and me, exaltation does not come from Modi or Trump. Neither from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one, exalts another. Remember, he does both. It doesn't come from the east or the west. It is God who exalts his children in the appointed time. Even they fulfill kingdom principles, he appoints and he lifts up. The kingdom of God functions in its own established laws and principles. That is why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Understand, it's not a random kingdom. There are absolutely ironclad principles establish how the kingdom functions. We function according to that kingdom which are called his ways. God says, you will succeed. You will prosper. But he also said, don't just seek the kingdom. Also seek his righteousness. Why? Because that is his character. Don't forget character. Because if you seek the kingdom without character, it still will not do us much good in the long run. Because like I said, man may promote talent or you may self-promote. Hmm? Promote yourself. What do you call it today in your terms? Startup, right? Companies? Yeah, yeah. Startup. Meaning I want to start my own company. Startup and God will government will give you money also for that. So many startups are <laughs> now huffing and puffing. Okay. All this remember seek ye first the kingdom of God, but also his righteousness, because talent can take you to the top. Only character can keep you. That is why God is taking those 13 years to reach Joseph to the top. Why? He could interpret dreams in the beginning also. He dreamt in the beginning at 17. But he did not have the character to rule until he was 13. Are you getting the picture? So God kept him 13 years, put him through the ringer so that character would be formed. So these are fundamental principles concerning the kingdom of God. 
And it's your honor and our duty to search out and live by it. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19, scripture says, if you're willing and obedient, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient. This is a continuous process. You should be willing and obedient, not at certain points in our life, but it should become a habit. So the problem is, God said, don't worry about bread. Because the biggest test everyone faces is the test of bread. That's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Even Jesus, the first test he has to go through is the test of bread. So will we be exempt? Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When? After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. That was when he was tested. With what? Now when the tempter came to him said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. What is the first test Jesus had to go through? The bread test. And he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread. The Father is very careful. He says, first you fast for 40 days. Because if the tempter comes and tempts you with bread when you are full, you say, I don't know. It's okay. He says, I want to be really hungry. Really, really hungry. Craving for food. And then he will come and tempt you with bread. And what are you supposed to say? What do you believe? And he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, the most, one of the most neglected books in the Old Testament by believers, knowing that every answer Jesus gave the devil came from the book of Deuteronomy. Am I right, Pastor Vijay? Every answer was from the book of Deuteronomy. He just, he, I mean, he said, I gave you 66 books, I just needed a few verses from one book to smack him. That's all you need. Okay? Man shall not live by bread alone. So that's why God tests us either with famine, lack of bread, whether we will still stick to his ways, or plenty. Plenty. What does plenty do? We looked at it also. Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. He said, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Idleness. This is a very, very, very dangerous combination. Very dangerous combination. When pride and fullness of bread and idleness comes, and you have no heart compassion to use this to help somebody else, it will destroy you. This is a very, all these are dangerous, right? Dangerous in itself. Fullness of bread and pride combination, more dangerous. Fullness of bread and pride and idleness, very dangerous combination. Very, very dangerous combination. And even, even simple, normal people know it. Right. The current president of US says he sleeps four to five hours a day and works 19 hours. Are you serious? Yeah. How old are you? 70. Do you need to work? No. I've got billions. Are you taking a salary? No. According to the law, I have to take a salary, but I will only take one dollar. That's all I need. How many hours do you work? 19 hours. Why? He says, I'm not a workaholic. I love working. Think about it. 
Man, do you have to work at 70? Why did you get into this? What are you getting out of it? You got around 10 or 12 billion. Fullness of bread, abundance of time. He says, you know what? I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. This is what happens. The problem, one of the reasons God doesn't genuinely prosper his people is that as we prosper, we become more and more idle. Become more and more lazy. God says, I cannot trust you. I love you, but I cannot trust you. Because you get more and more lazy. The more money I give you, the more lazy you become. Very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. That's why you look at Jesus. Jesus had, he was humble. He had fullness of bread. He never had to worry about bread. He knew who owned everything. But you wouldn't find him one minute idle. Always working at his father's business. Understand fundamental principles in the Bible. Okay. So God says, there are principles established about bread. Excess and lack. Everywhere God says, my children should be careful because my kingdom works differently. And since provision is the major issue for people, let us look a little more deeper about bread. Genesis 26 verses 12 and 14. Isaac sowed in the land and reaped the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That's, that's a stunning verse. That man began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. And verse 14, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Okay. We look at it, Isaac. Wow, we love verses like this. And we start drooling. <laughs> but the question is, go to verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land. So, we only, we don't, we don't read this because we don't like reading this because that demands something from us. We like this. We like, everybody likes reaping. Because somebody has sowed, we want to reap. But there is one that is defining the rest. This part of the first line. Isaac sowed in that land. Now, we don't stop there. The problem is, where did Isaac sow his seed? In a land going through a terrible famine. When everybody else was probably fleeing to Egypt to escape famine. And while others are fleeing to Egypt, God speaks to him and tells him, don't follow the crowd. Stay where you are. Apply it to your own principle. When everybody is changing companies because the next company is offering you more, God suddenly says to you, you stay there. But Lord, there is famine in this company. I actually hear a rumor that it may even shut down. But what are you telling me? Stay. Not everybody is there. They said this, this company is hiring and very soon that window will close. What are you telling me? Stay. Genesis 26. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Don't go. Don't, you don't go. Don't follow the crowd. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Live here. 
dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. He says, don't go. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Don't follow the crowd. The natural inclination is always to escape something. And God tells Isaac, stay. But in all your cases, I have to hear, okay? You have to hear very clearly from God. So God may be speaking to somebody. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe it's a marriage that is on the rocks. The best way is to escape. And God is saying, stay. Could be a financial crisis. God is saying, stay. I don't know. Stay. Now it is not enough that you stay. Then God comes and says in verse 12, in the same, then Isaac sowed in that land. Which land? Not in Egypt. In that land. A famine struck, a drought struck land. Where did he sow? In that land. Now in the natural, that's the most difficult thing to do. Because we see it as waste. Not just no returns, but we say it as waste. Principle, apply the principle. Don't simply make it into money alone. Look it in principle. Ruth looks and looks into Naomi and listens to Naomi's words and she knows Naomi. She knows one thing. This is barren. (laughs) This is drought-stricken land. Famine-hit land. Me investing in her life is wasting my life. I need to go to Moab. And she's given me an open door also. I can say, okay, mommy, I'm going. Moab is fertile. Moab has got plenty. That's where my future lies. But somehow I believe the Spirit of God is telling Ruth, cling on to this. Dwell here. Dwell with her. Don't go. Stay here. This is where your destiny lies. We need to hear clearly, clearly from God in situations. Because we see it has waste. We don't even see it has no returns as waste. Sometimes people ask, Lord, how long do you want me to sow in this loveless relationship? How long do you want me to keep praying for these rebellious children? How long? I am tired. I am tired. God says, don't give up. Get some help. Maybe get an Aaron and a her to hold up your arms. We saw that in Exodus 17, 12 and 13. Maybe you are tired. Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put him under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hurt supported his hands. One of the biggest stumbling blocks for believers who are actually going through multiple problems in their life is pride. They never ask for help. Even Moses needed help. Jesus told his disciples, will you stay up and tarry with me in prayer? We won't. I can handle it on my own. God says you never can. You will be destroyed not because the kingdom was in there, the king was in there, the power was in there. Your pride will destroy you. God says don't do that. Don't do that. Never let pride come in seeking help. We all need help. We all need prayer. We all need prayers from one another. A lot of people in their situations, it look might look dry, drought-stricken, but don't give up. Why would? 
Why would Isaac sow in a land that was dry when no one else is sowing? Because God promised to bless him. He said, I promise to bless you. You and I have a promise. Others may flee the land of promise. Others may resort to means to escape famine. But we have a promise. We have a promise. Because we have a promise, God says so. What is the promise, ultimately? The promise is Genesis 8 and verse 22. While the earth remains. Is the earth around still? Sea time and harvest. Sea time and harvest. These are the fundamental principles in the universe God has created. You sow, there will be a harvest. Whatever you sow. It doesn't change. You have a promise. Seed time and harvest as long as the earth remains. People in the world will not understand. Even many in the church won't understand. Most of Isaac's servants must have wondered what's wrong with this master. What's wrong with him? Because now you are taking your seed. Nobody wastes their seed. They don't. They are very, very careful. The simple reason, they do not understand the principles of God's kingdom, which overrules everything else that you and I see. Luke 6.38 is very clear. It says, give and it will be given to you. You want a harvest? So, there's no other way. You do not ever receive from God without giving. Though he is the first giver. After that he sees whether you become a giver. He gives you the seed so that you can sow. But when he gives you the seed, he will see whether you sow. Many, many people do not have is because the seed he has given, they eat. They don't sow. You should eat a part of it. You don't eat all of it. Then they go and borrow other seed and eat that also. <laughs> that is called debt. And the world will put nice words and says, our company is on debt financing. I don't understand these terms. Okay, I stay away from those terms. These are God's fundamental. Give and it shall be given to you. How? According to you give. Good measure. Press down. Press down. When God says press down, running, shaken together, running. Oh, this, this generation will never understand these things. You should have lived in my and my mother's and father's. When you went to the market to buy something, rice and all, they had those containers. They push it, press it down, shake it, and then they pour it. Put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, we measure back to you. Principles. Understand this thing. I'm, this is only for God's people, okay? Many of God's people pray. They fast. They read the Bible. They pray even in tongues. But they don't, can't pay their bills. Simply because they don't practice the principles of God's kingdom. You can pray. You can fast. You can be faithful in your devotions. You can even pray in the spirit. But you are not able to pay your bills. Why? Because God has set fundamental principles how his kingdom functions. That's why is Hosea 4.6, Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And what happens? Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you as? I will also reject you as what? 
As what? If you are rejected as a priest in Israel, what's your major problem? Priests were the only ones who got their provision without worrying. They never had to worry about their provision. They only had to see they did their work properly. They never had to worry about provision. Everybody else had to. They will reject you as priests. You will always worry about your provision. Many, many people blame the devil. Poor fellow. There are two kinds of statements. One, the devil is called the accuser of the... And then God says, then there are these brethren who accuse the devil. (laughs) Well, devil said, I have made it very clear in your scripture. I have made it very clear in your scripture where? In Job 1.10, I made it very clear in your scripture. Yeah? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. He says, I am not responsible for your mess. I am not because he puts hedges. God is a very good gardener. He does not only plant, he also builds walls around his garden. Please put a hedge. So, the devil is not the one who is in control, but God. Okay? It's not God. Only exception, Hebrews 10.34. What is the exception? For you had compassion on me in my chains, joyfully accept the plundering of your goods. When the state or system takes away your wealth because you are righteous and fighting for the kingdom of God, God says rejoice. Don't worry about that. That is not loss. That is not financial loss. That is incredible gain. Because what you get in return is an enduring and a better possession for yourself in heaven. That's the only way I believe believers should lose. Because you are fighting powers of darkness and the devil says, okay, fine. I will go after your wealth using the system. That's perfect. Other ways the kingdom works. It works. In Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 to 12, God says, will a man rob God? Think about it. Will a man rob God? It doesn't even cross our mind. How can you rob God? God says, you can. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have you robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. He says, in tithes and in offerings you have robbed me. You thought you only robbed the church. God says, you don't rob the church. You robbed me. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Then he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, try me. You want to try me? Let's try about money. You can test me, he says in that. Let me tell you, fundamental mistake good believers make, not bad believers, good believers make, is this. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. You know what believers did, which I also did in the beginning? What I would do that I would split my tithes and send this one to that ministry, that ministry and put little in the church. God says, you will never get blessed. I never asked you to send it to them. I said, put it in my house. Who made you sovereign over your money? I owe you. You have to do it my way. I didn't tell you to send it to that ministry. That you want to send extra, that's you. But your tithes should come into my house. It doesn't go anywhere. That's why even here we tell you, if you're visiting to, for the word, put your tithes. If you believe that is your house, then put it there. Because I don't want it here. Because it won't help you. It helps us, but it won't help you. 
He won't help you. Let me think about this. Think about this. You are a child living with your father and mother. And you are working. And you get a salary. Okay? And you know expenses in your home is tight. But you choose to take your money and eat out. Is your, are you helping your home? No, you are not helping your home at all. God says it doesn't work that way. It has to be in the house of God. He says it is here. And he says what happens? I will rebuke the devourer. So how did the devourer come in? We broke the hedge. When the minute we robbed God in our tithes and offerings, what happened? We took the hedge off and the fellow got it. And he's eating all your crops. He's eating your crops. And suddenly you realize you are not prospering financially. You are not able to pay your bills. All these issues are piling up. And God says, kingdom principles are established. Can we change the word of God? No, we look at external circumstances. God says no. Don't look at external circumstances. The kingdom of God works on faith. It doesn't work by sight. Ecclesiastic 11 and verse 4. What does scripture say? He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Oh, wind is coming. He will not sow. Oh, this month, you know, expenses are very high. He says he will not reap. Oh, this month I have to pay my children's fees. So what do I do? Everybody, when it comes to financial, the first person they rob is God. They don't rob man. They rob. They are more scared of the income tax department than they are of God. Okay? They rob God. God says, when you see the wind, what happens? You will not sow. The wind comes. Oh, you stop sowing. He says, he who regards the clouds will never reap. If you are looking at external circumstances to determine your walk in the kingdom of God, he says, you will not reap. In verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. He says, in the morning, sow. In the evening, be generous. Morning and evening, be generous. Don't change your habits from morning till evening. Morning I'm generous, evening I'm tight. God says, no, you don't know which will prosper. Maybe what you sowed in the morning will bring a harvest. Maybe the one you sowed in the evening will bring a harvest. Or maybe both. You have a double harvest. He says, don't change the pattern. Why? Because your father, Johan, your father in heaven is a giver. What is he? He's, he's forever sowing. Morning, evening, all God is sowing. And he says, learn from him. Don't refrain from sowing. Don't refrain from giving. Ruth chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Gleaning is meant for the poor. God has said, when you harvest that little stalks and the edges, leave it for the poor. Don't take everything. Poor also need to eat. Don't say. Now Boaz is saying, not only let her glean, if she takes from the sheaves, also let her take. Do not reproach her. Also let the grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. 
purposely for it. My greatest excitement in life, little things excite me, is when I go through my trousers to put them for a wash. Almost every week, I find money. I tell my money, hurry, I found money. And my wife will say, half is mine. (laughs) The joy. Because God is letting it for me purposely fall. He says, let it fall. Did you see? She was sowing in the life of Naomi in famine. Sheer faith. Now she is reaping. She is reaping. At a time when after famine, food had just started coming back to Bethlehem. In First King chapter 9, verse 21. Yes. So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them and boiled their flesh and he gave it to everybody. How did Elisha begin his ministry? You see? He sowed and he walked. First act when he receives the call is, this is mine, I'm giving it and I'm following. He will reap a harvest because that's how he began. That's how he began. He begins his ministry with an act of giving. How did Jesus begin his ministry? No wine? Fill those jars. He hasn't started preaching. He hasn't started ministering. Fill those jars. Take a cup. Show it to the steward. He begins his ministry with an incredible act of giving. These are principles. Your condition, my condition, the world's condition does not change God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away. Not even a dot from God's word. If Isaac had not sowed, he would not have reaped. There's one thing Isaac had to do. He had to sow. The rest was all based on God's promise. In Genesis 26, scripture says, same year, a hundredfold. Hundredfold. That principle applies in every sphere of life. Every sphere of, don't make restrict it to money. In Genesis chapter 39 and verses 2, the Lord was with Joseph. He was successful and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Next verse. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, leave that. Now let me tell you. Can he be allowed to work without supervision? Can he be allowed to work without supervision? Are you a kamchor? We say in Hindi. Are you a kamchor? Can he be trusted? First thing this Gentile realizes about Joseph is man He puts all his heart into his work when he has no assured returns. What is he? A slave. Can your company trust you? Can your company trust you? Can your company trust you? Can you do it? Because we want to prosper. We want a hundredfold. God says, watch out at Joseph, how he worked. How he put in. Verse 20 to 23. 
Then Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prisoner prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. At the prison, he doesn't need supervision. Ask these questions. Can we be put in charge of anything without supervision? Have we reached there? Have we reached there? Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. Eye service. Okay? It's in the old days when the boss is going, and the boss is gone, keyboard is silent. Not as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, it do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Heartily. This is talking about secular work. Not talking about ministry. Even to get people to do ministry heartily is difficult. Forget secular work. Heartily. See, when we get closer and closer to the end, the word of God is very, very clear. Hebrews 12 and verse 27. Yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that things which cannot be shaken may remain. God is shaking everything. When God is shaking everything, he's also looking at the work of his children to see whether it will stand. Everything means everything will be shaken. And God's people will have only one way left to live. That is the way of faith and faith alone. No other way left. In Matthew 13 verse 23, we know this, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some we look at 30, 60, 100, but leave the harvest. But the problem is, there has to be a sowing before you can have a harvest. Right? Without sowing, can you have a harvest? Are you expecting a harvest, knowing that you haven't sowed anything? But like we looked in the principle of choices, you are free to make a choice, but you are not free not to choose. You are not free not to choose. Everybody has to choose. When you say I don't choose, you have already chosen. In the same way, you are not free not to sow. You are free to sow. You are not free to sow because everyone is sowing. In Galatians 6 verses 7 and 9, that's what it actually says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. Meaning every man sows. It doesn't say whenever a man sows, whatever a man sows. He will also reap for he sows in his flesh or he sows in the spirit. There are only two kinds of sowing. Everybody is sowing. You cannot escape sowing. If you are not sowing in the spirit, you are sowing in the flesh. If you are not sowing in the flesh, you are sowing in the spirit. There is, there is nobody who can say I am not sowing because even if you lie on your bed without moving, you are still sowing in the flesh. 
sowing in the flesh. Everybody sows. So you are free to make your choice. But you are not free not to make a choice. You are free to sow. But you are not free not to sow. So when it comes to sowing God's seed, verse 9 says, let us not grow weary. Don't grow. You do not grow weary sowing in the flesh. You know that? Nobody gets. They get tired. They don't get weary. These are two different words. You get tired because your body is tired. Then you wake up and get back to sowing in the flesh again. People do not go weary in, the, in doing bad, sowing in the flesh. Have you ever heard alcoholist saying, I'm tired of drinking? He just says, I cannot drink anymore. Tomorrow morning he says, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Have you ever heard a gossip saying, I'm tired of gossiping? But you say, people say, I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of reading the word. I'm tired of going to church. I'm tired of God. I'm tired of manna. When you were in Egypt, did you ever say you were tired of fish? Did you ever say you were tired of leeks? Did you ever say I'm tired of cucumbers? You say you were tired of the whips, but you did not say you were tired of what you partook. God says when it comes to doing good, do not grow weary. Because the problem is in sowing in the flesh, there is pleasure in sin. We grow weary in sowing in the spirit because we do not get instant results. Right? Genesis, but there will be results. You don't get instant results. Genesis 15 verses 13 to 14. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. We'll serve them. They will afflict them 400 years. How many years? 400 years your descendants will be in Egypt. 400. Serving. What is serving? Giving. To the Egyptians for how many years? 400 years. And also the nation whom I serve, I will judge. Afterward, how will they come out? The huge harvest. 400 years. I don't know what happened in Israel's history in Egypt, but I believe it was told from generation to generation. It has been prophesied. You will keep serving. You will not rebel. Our salvation will come from the Lord. You do not fight Pharaoh. You don't fight the Egyptians. You keep serving. You keep serving. You keep groaning, but you keep serving. Because he has promised he will send a savior and afterward we shall come out with a great harvest. Afterward, that demands a lot of patience in doing good. You don't need patience to do bad. Have you noticed that? You don't need patience to do bad. You need patience to do good. Demanded a lot of patience. That's what Hebrews 6 and verse 12 says. 6 and verse 12. Quickly. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. By faith, not sight. Faith and patience inherit the promise. James chapter 5 verses 7 to 11. It's not given there? Oh, I'm sorry. 
Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Okay. How long are we supposed to be patient? For your harvest, your real harvest? Until the coming of the Lord. That is the problem. That is why people, some people are lacing, Lord, when are you coming? Some people say, Lord, when are you coming? Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The problem is if you don't have patience and faith, what happens? You start grumbling. That's what happened to the children of Israel. They started grumbling, they started murmuring, they started grumbling, they started murmuring. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He's very compassionate and merciful. Just because your and my harvest hasn't come, that doesn't make God not compassionate or not merciful. He's compassionate. He's merciful. Your harvest will come. God says, be patient. Be patient and keep on serving. Keep on sowing. It is God who is going to do it. Not you and me. Exodus 30 and verse 20 to 21. God told Moses. Exodus 20. So I will stretch out my hand, strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be. When you go, that you shall not go empty-handed. You will not go empty-handed. He says, I will do it. You shall not go empty-handed. And God is always true to his word. That is why we have to believe by faith and in patience, continue serving, continue sowing. Were they afflicted? Yes, but they came out of their affliction by the hand of God. In Psalm 105 and verse 37, scriptures. No, 105 and verse 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold. There was none feeble among. What does it mean? He brought them out with silver and gold and without diabetes. Imagine silver and gold and sweet. Meats everywhere. You can't eat anything. I have silver, I have gold, but I cannot eat anything. That's what it means. There was none feeble among them. I'm not only going to prosper you, I will also give you a physical capacity to enjoy your prosperity. What's the point of prosperity without? There was none feeble among them. There's so many rich people you see. Brother, how are you? I'm fine. Are you making money? Yes. What do you eat? Bread in the morning. Two cucumbers for lunch and then soup for dinner. Why? Doctor said so. That's not what God intends for his people. He said, I will bring you out with silver and gold. You will have provision. Don't worry about it. And you don't have to be feeble. Because the word of God is health to a man's whole body. We are not condemning those who are sick. Please don't misunderstand. Sickness comes for different reasons, but fight it. Fight it. Fight it. You don't give up on these things. Doctors will say, which are absolute facts. Every, I told the pastors yesterday, they were tickle pink. They like my kind of humor. I told them, every dentist who told, when met him, your teeth, genetic, it's, it, it won't function. It will go. Hereditary, it will go. 
The last dentist I went to said, one day all your dentures will go. I said, that's true for everybody. All your dentures will go finally. One pull from here, one pull from here, false, whatever you call it, root canal, everything put over here. And then again, last year, both infected, both hurting. I said, Lord, I am not going to the dentist again. Because what will he tell? He'll say, I will pull the one next to this and next to this also. I am not going. And it is hurting, it is bleeding. Every day, morning and evening, when I brush my teeth, I look and say, I believe. I believe. And I am not going to take medication. I am not going to the dentist. I believe. You want to check my teeth? No infection. All my teeth are fine. Week after week, day after day, month after month, I stood with a mirror and to myself, not even to my wife, to myself, I said, Lord, I believe. Your healing, your stripes are more powerful than any infection, anything the doctor has said. I believe. You don't give up on these fights. This is a spiritual struggle. You don't give up. You don't give up. Right? Because the only thing I need basically to function is my mouth. Because that is what I do. Talk. And if my teeth are hurting, it doesn't matter to me if my leg is hurting. But my mouth matters because I speak. That's my calling. People give up very fast. Don't give up. This is a battle and God is with us. God is for us. Believe. They did not have to lift one hand for their deliverance. They just had to believe and obey. That is why scripture says in Luke 21 and verse 19, in your patience, possess your souls. Have a grip over your soul in patience. Why? Because God has a set time for everything. You cannot push God to move. It's not a good thing to do. In Psalm 102, verses 12 and 13, Scripture says, But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name, all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. The set time has to come for each one. God has a time. Joseph knows God has a time. I don't know how he knew, but he probably knew. He said, there's no point fretting in Potiphar's house. There is no point sitting and rattling your chains in the prison. God has a set time. And then finally he interprets the butler and the baker are both gone. They are gone. The butler is back in the king's palace. But God's set time did not come. And Joseph is saying, he will say, the cupbearer will say, the cupbearer will say, today today is the day of my release. What did God do? Made the cupbearer forget for two years. Why? God's set time for Joseph had not come. Two years later, that must have been the longest two years for Joseph in prison. Two years later, the, the Pharaoh dreamt the set time had come. Nobody could answer. And the cupbearer said, oh, I forgot, but now I remember. There's a Hebrew in the prison. Learn. These things you learn when you are young. You know, we waste so much of your, our time because we do not have knowledge. We have knowledge about chemistry, physics, biology, economics, history, English, mathematics, and not the word of God. All the chemistry, physics I learned, I have forgotten. The biology and maths, maths I remember. What is that? Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. After that I forgot. If I need it, I ask Vijay. Does that save us? No. Do we know this? That's why God says my people perish without knowledge. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. 
Give and it shall be given to you. He says, not only how to prosper, not only that, we will prosper. He says, this is how you prosper. Your prosperity will be directly proportional to the measure in which you give. They don't make it very simple and related to earth alone. Your prosperity in heaven will be directly proportional to how you gave on earth. On earth. Jesus gave, 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 gave to the last drop he gave. So God lifted, lifted, lifted up to the highest place. It's as simple. Because we make it to earth, then we'll be all earthly minded. Doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, God says, This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Why is it that some people reap so sparingly in in the spirit that when they come through trials and testings, they have no strength because they have sowed in the things of the spirit very sparingly. While they have sowed in the flesh generously, so when they are attacked, they have no power to resist. No power to resist. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Whatever your seed is. Fundamental principles. Why? Through all this, never ever forget God's underlying principle. The principle is seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. Why? If you don't prosper in righteousness, he will withhold the harvest. What will he do? He will withhold the harvest for his children. And I believe one of the major reasons Christians don't prosper financially, especially in India, is because they don't prosper in righteousness. What do I mean by that? James chapter 4, 3. You ask and you do not receive. You ask amiss. How do you ask amiss? He says it's not because you don't ask. You ask but you don't receive. Why don't you receive? Because your father won't give you. Why? You ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So how do you live? Paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. Why? You get your first salary, you run for shopping. That's one of the reasons people don't prosper. What is this? Got it? Cab? Gone shopping. Gone. We don't understand why God prospers his children in the kingdom. Therefore he says, those who spend it upon themselves, I will not prosper you. I will not prosper you. Second Corinthians chapter 10 onwards. Read carefully. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Remember, I have nothing to give unless he gives me first. None of us have. Richie, none of us have anything to give unless he gives us first. Who is he? He is the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. But why does he supply? Understand. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. If the fruit of your righteousness is not increasing, what is he going to give you wealth for? 
If you are not growing in patience, in love, in long suffering, in kindness, in all these things, what are you doing? You are taking your money and indulging in the flesh. God says, I am not going to multiply it. Because I have given you for a reason. Why do I give you at the fruits of your righteousness? Why? How do you also know it? While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. What is that? So as you are enriched for what? To be liberal. God's children are given for a reason so that they can give it back to others. Even comfort. Even read scripture carefully. God says, you, yeah, he's in, in chapter 2, right? Chapter 1, chapter 1, yeah? You don't have turned there. He says, how do we comfort? We comfort with the comfort ourselves we have received. Why does God comfort you in your trials? So that another day when somebody is in distress, you will use that comfort to comfort them. That's why comfort is given. If you don't do it, then you will realize second time you are in trouble, you receive no comfort because he said, you do not give what I have given you. I am a giver. Pass it on. Pass it on. Liberality. Which causes thanksgiving through us to God. When you do that, the kingdom of God, the people start thanking God and glory goes to whom? To God. God receives the glory. Next verse. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. There's enough and more in the kingdom of God on earth. Just meet the needs of all God's children. Enough. More than enough. What happens? The needs of the saints are met. Not only that, thanksgiving abound to God. That's what happened in the apostolic church, right? Thanksgiving. Then, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. He says, you know what? The gospel of Christ, the proof of your talking is in your giving. We say it in English, put your money where your mouth is. Proof of your talking is in your giving. The gospel glorifies God because the obedience of your confession and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is that? The gift of giving. It's an incredible gift. Incredible gift. Read that again and again and again. God has an answer to the famine in the world. It is neither the UN nor the US government. It is the church. The body of his son on earth. But to believe, even in family, in famine, we have to believe. That my God is a giver, my father is a giver, and I'm called to be a giver. That's what First Kings seventeen sixteen the widow will experience. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which is spoke by Elijah. You see, it never ran dry in the house. Why? Because in her most famine-stricken day of her life, she chose to give and not receive. But because she gave, it never ended in her life. 
most testing day of her life was when Elijah turned up at her doorsteps. She had nothing left. One hand of flour, a little of oil, picked up sticks to make her last bread and died. Because famine is not going to go. Nobody is going to share. At that time, one man comes and says, give it to me. Give it to me. And she does. She sowed her seed in the worst time of her life. So did Ruth. The worst time of her life. She clung to Naomi. She clung. And she went out for her mother-in-law. Gleaning, 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 gleaning. Picking wine so that her mother-in-law could eat. And so she could also eat. All her future lay in Moab. She said, I'm not going to stop giving. And what is her result? End of her harvest. Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Can we have it? So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. What is the result of her sowing? Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. What is the end of our sowing? Christ Jesus took us and we became his bride forever. Why? Because he said she gave and she gave, he gave, she gave, they gave and they gave and they gave. Never forget when Eliezer goes to look for a bride for Isaac, the first thing he says is, I will ask her, the first woman who comes, will you give me some water? And she will say, yes my lord and also I will water all your camels. And she gave and she gave and she gave. A little later she's sitting as the mistress of an enormous wealth. Who is she? Isaac's wife. Isaac's wife. Hallelujah. We'll stop there. Okay? Stop there. Remember, that is how the kingdom of God functions. Don't try shortcuts. It doesn't work. You may work in the short run, but you will pay a heavy price. The kingdom of God works in Patience and in patience possess your soul. Keep on sowing. Keep on sowing. Keep on sowing in famine. Your seed in famine actually matters more than your sowing in times of plenty. That's why I said these months are very, very definitive for the lives of people. The way you work in the company that mistreats you matters to you more than you will work in a company who loves you. Remember that. It's easy to serve Jacob in Jacob's house. He loves you and he will give you a coat with many colors which you won't give to his other sons. But Potiphar's house? Prison? Everybody wants to serve in Jacob's house. God says, what about the prison? In your tight, tight situation. In the famine-stricken situation. It may be your home. Maybe an office. Whatever it is. People don't realize everybody is sowing. One way or other you are sowing. When the harvest comes, either you will be disappointed or you will be excited. But if you know what you are sowing, by now you should also know what kind of a harvest you are going to get. What kind of a harvest. So, simple principle. If you don't like your harvest, change your seed. If you don't like your harvest, change your seed. 
for like your harvest, change your seeds, start sowing in the spirit. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we come to you. We come to you, Father, because your kingdom is established in these principles. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Those who keep sowing in righteousness will always reap in their life a harvest of peace and a harvest of joy. That even in the prison, they will be able to sing and rejoice and be a blessing to all the other prisoners. Because of the seed they have sown and they are sowing. And I pray, Father, for the dear brethren in your house today. Those who are struggling with their harvest, I pray they will start changing their seed. They will stop sowing in the flesh. They cannot sow conflict and reap peace. They cannot sow in anger and reap joy. They cannot sow in bitterness. They cannot sow in pride. Cannot. Because they won't like the harvest when it comes. Help us to sow the way your son showed us. In humility. In consistency. In righteousness. In truth. And even in famine. Continue sowing. Because we have a promise. The one who gave us the promise is the one who gives seed to the sower and supplies bread to the needy. We look to you, Lord. We look to you. If we have sowed in righteousness, then we have the confidence to ask the Lord of the harvest. You told that day, pray and ask the Lord of the harvest. I pray today people will have the confidence to ask the Lord of the harvest, Lord, I'm looking for my harvest. Looking for my harvest. Help me to wait in patience. Help me to possess my soul. For your set time will come. Set time will come. When I will come out with plenty, nor will I be feeble in my soul. That's your promise, O oh Lord, for your children. I pray once again, we will heed to your voice we heard today, that if we are willing and obedient, you have promised us, we'll eat the good of the land. Thank you, Father, thank you. As we go into another week, go before us, lead us, and help us to follow you. Lead us. Help us to follow you. Has Joseph followed you? Has Ruth followed Naomi? Has you followed the Father? Has Paul followed the Spirit? Help us to follow you. Thank you, Father. Strengthen us. Protect us. Keep us close to you. We ask your children and as your people we choose to bless your holy name, Lord. We don't want to finish this service without giving you what is your due. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. 
We bless your holy name. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.